For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is going on bbn welcome to another episode of believe in kentucky alongside the 96 most outstanding player of the, of the final four and the nba vet tony Duck. my name is Vinny hardy what's up td nothing much man like i said another beautiful day on the right side and uh like i said we got a special guest we do we do it is it is tennessee week and this gentleman just started the Believe in Tennessee football podcast, played O-line for the Vols from 2011 to 2015. We're talking about Kyler Kerberson. Kyler, welcome to Believe in Kentucky. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I wish I was coming off of a win, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. <laughs> Glad you're here, man. It's, and, you know, get your insights looking back on, on last week, and then we'll get your thoughts of course, we, we know how you're going to feel about this coming weekend. We're going to be on different <laughs> sides, but we'll, we'll get into all of that, man, for sure. For sure. So we're glad you're taking the time to be here with us. And look, TD, man, speaking of time, Kyler's taking his time to be here. And we always talk about time. And a good timepiece is sponsoring our podcast. We're talking about La Terrain, the guys, Dave, Ben, You've been endorsing them for a while, and now they jumped on the spot with the podcast. Excellent timepieces to put on that wrist and upgrade and give yourself some style as you go about your activities. And my man Dave has come up with a blue wristband, and that is big time. So for all those listeners um, that tune in to our podcast, make sure you go to Lots of Rain and look up Big blue, and it should be a nice blue time, blue wrist timepiece that can go on most of the watches. So, Dave heard my voice, and he delivers. So, Dave, I appreciate you, man. That's right. Y'all can check him out all over social media on Twitter at La Terrain, L-A underscore Terrain, Instagram, La Terrain Watches, Facebook, La Terrain Watches. Kyler, you don't have to get the blue when they have other colors if you want to get yourself a timepiece you can treat yourself as well or tell your friends that need a nice watch go to lotterrain.com and, and check our friends out they're doing big things there and we appreciate them sponsoring here uh the believing kentucky podcast so kyla let's get into uh, the first half of the game against georgia which i thought was an excellent first half by tennessee uh they were solid across the board can you tell us what kind of happened the second half, how Georgia was able to take that lead and, and, uh, and finish the game off? Yeah, so um, I think the first half, we really just got an opportunity to take, take advantage of things Georgia was giving us. Um, big turnover they had. We did a shot play, and it was you know one play drive for a touchdown to Josh Palmer. Um, 
you know, we had a little bit of a drive before the end of the half, and then our defense just stepping up, uh, making that fourth down stop. I there was just a lot of mental errors. Um, how many penalties we had in the game? I mean, we had more penalties in that game than we did the first two weeks combined. And um, you know, I was super proud of our defense the entire game. I thought when they came out in the second half, the first three drives for Georgia went for like a total of four yards. So they were stuffing them, but it was on the offensive side, turning the ball over, not protecting it. Um, and like I said, mental errors. There was a lot of uh, missed blocks right. by everyone into protection, not necessarily just running backs or just uh, – specific offensive linemen, everyone in the protection was missing blocks. And, you know, if, if you don't understand what the defense is coming with, right? you, you know, you're never going to succeed. And then I also think we lost what we're supposed to be doing. As an offense, we need to run the ball. Okay. There's no way that we can have success in our offense without running it at least 18-ish times each half. And, we and also, ran. I think you have to give, um, you know, Kirby Smart, you have to give their staff a lot of credit for making the proper adjustments the second half. I think so many times we get caught up in, you know, what the penalties that Tennessee had, the turnovers, but could you see an, an adjustment that Georgia made the second half? Yeah, I mean, they made Garantano uncomfortable. That, I mean – that's exactly what they did. Second half, they understood that, um, you know, that we were running on first down. As soon as we if – if we didn't get positive yardage on first down, it's, okay, now we have to pass. Um, and they were able to put pressure on Garantano, make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And maybe some SEC te teams know this, but Tennessee fans definitely know this, that Garantano is not an elite quarterback. He right. Is, a guy back there, he's okay. He we make him look elite. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he can do the job if he's put in the right spot. Um, right. I mean, if you make him uncomfortable, he's not the one to, you know, pull you out of something. You know, like some elite quarterbacks, you see, like a Russell Wilson or yeah. Patrick Mahomes. You know, guys like that, where it's, you know, they can make plays with their feet. They can also, you know, check out of protections and change and. That's just not Garantano's game. So right. I think the pressure they put on him, making him uncomfortable back there, it, it really affected him. So what were your well, let me ask you this. First of all, as a as a former player, 2020 this year has been upside down, topsy turvy, ridiculous. And look, there's news today. You know, Vanderbilt, Missouri postponed, Florida LSU postponed. Nick Saban has contracted coronavirus. So that just add that to the craziness already. But from a football perspective, you playing in the SEC, you playing against all these teams, when they announced that the schedule was changed to just a 10-game SEC schedule, you as a former player, would you have liked to have played that grind? Or do you miss having a few teams you can kind of beat up on and, and rest up before you play an SEC team again? Well, um, you know, when I first heard it as a fan, I loved it. Uh, <laughs> I loved, you know, being able to play against a bunch of SEC opponents, testing us. And, you know, when I thought back on my playing time, I would have hated it, uh, especially as an older guy on the team. Those weeks where you played the North Texas 
or the Western Kentucky or things like that, they might give reps to the second string guy, you know, let him get a little bit more practice time, a little bit more rest and practice. You can take some hits off your body. Now you're going to play most of the game, but you know, they might come in the fourth quarter um, and it's, and it's a good confidence boost. It's also a good game where you can try different stuff. Um, you know, different run plays, different, you know, packages, uh, different formations and see if you're going to actually be able to run it. And it's a great time to have people heal up too. Uh, you know, I don't think I ever got through a season without a starter getting hurt in some aspect, you know, it'd be wide receiver, an offensive lineman, a running back, somebody getting hurt uh, to where, you know, that week of, you know, not necessarily a bye, but playing a non-SEC opponent helped to be like, hey, you don't have to play. We're, we're going to be okay with the second string guy in. And, um, you know, I, I would definitely miss that right now. I do think, you know, now that you, you mentioned it, the postponing of some of these games, that's going to give you that opportunity where it's like, okay, now we're just practicing. We're not going to actually play. You know, some guys can heal up a little bit. Um, but, I, I mean, it's – it's a crazy time. I mean, a testament to what, like, the Titans did this past two weeks. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, unbelievable that they were even able to be in that game. I thought for sure the Bills would kill them. But, you know, them taking two weeks off, you know, working out by themselves and just doing Zoom meetings, not getting a chance to practice, that's what these teams are looking in the SEC. You know, there there might be, like, chances where it's like, hey, you can't be near the facility. You know, these guys got it. Um, you know, they might contract it to you. And some of them, hey, you're roommates of some of these guys too. So it's like, hey, you can't live with them anymore. You can't hang out with them. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy thing. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine exactly what all these guys are having to go through and all the different stuff they're having to do now on top of being an elite player. So you think like, um, you know, definitely the maturity level, you know, at the, in the NFL is totally different from uh, what's happening in college. So, you know, your college guy got to stay focused with class and a lot more distractions. And, you know, having been a, a, a collegiate athlete and played a lot of different positions, is there one position that you enjoy playing more than others? Huh. Um, I think it, it all came down to getting comfortable in that certain position. When I first started, I, I enjoyed playing guard more. It was, it was more comfortable for me. It was, you know, just what I had the most time with. And then as I went through my career, I started having more reps at tackle, just more and more through games. And then I was very comfortable there and almost felt weird at guard. It, when you're moving people around, which is something that Tennessee has been doing the first three weeks, <laughs> still trying to figure out their offensive line rotation, right. uh, especially with like Cade Mays coming back in um, and they're bumping people around guard to tackle, tackle to guards, you know, moving around. You block a guy completely different at guard and tackle. There's okay. time and distance. When you're at tackle, the guy is a whole lot faster and he's doing a lot more skill moves. When you're at guard, the guy is bigger, he's stronger, and right. he's on you quick. 
when you're at tackle, it takes two, three, four steps before you even touch them. So right. your patience is has to be crazy. You can't right. lunge out at him because if you do, you'll miss. But at guard, he's on top of you right there. So, so you fast mouth right there. Exactly. So pass protection and run blocking, he is on you. So it's got to be who is the quickest at that right. position. But at, on the outside, it's who's the most patient because right. the defensive end is also looking for my hands when I'm at tackle, he's looking for the opportunity to spin by me or the opportunity to go inside if my hits turn or swap my hands when I punch. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a patient waiting game out there. So it's, it's right. completely, it's almost a completely different ball game when you really break it down. But it seemed like you show great versatility. And I think that's where, you know, being a, a high level athlete, you know, on, on pretty much every level is that, you have to be able to show your versatility because, like you said, when a player gets injured, sometimes it's the next man up, but sometimes a coach can see a skill set in a player like yourself and say, hey, Kyle, do you want to – can you try this position? You know, and, of course, as an athlete, I know you will be up for that challenge. Yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, and it's, it's something as a competitor you want to take on. Um, and I always took a lot of pride. I mean, I grew up in Knoxville. Grew up in East Tennessee. I was a Vol fan before I played. So whenever I got there, whenever I got to play, it was important to me. You know, I I, I wanted to do everything I could to help us win on Saturdays. And uh, it also comes down to knowledge of the game, too, because, you know, there might have been times where a guy goes down and it's, well, the next guy up doesn't know what he's doing out there he doesn't you know he doesn't understand that the nuances of a double team or you know what you're actually queuing in on for the blitz uh you know what the linebacker does before the snap all that kind of stuff where okay kyler i since you have experience since you play we're gonna bump you down to guard even though you know you're not not that experienced at guard or you know it's not that comfortable for you but you know what you're doing out there and if you know what you're doing we can at least figure this thing out if everybody's on the same page i'm okay with it you mentioned k mays who like yourself from knoxville broke everybody's hearts when he decided to go to georgia didn't go as they had planned you know stuff with his family and, and all that and so he transfers back to tennessee uh within the conference kind of like joy gatewood goes from auburn to kentucky so with him transferring back to Tennessee and being able to play immediately, how difficult is that? So I guess what's the differences between what Georgia did as an offensive line and what Tennessee's trying to do? Uh, I know Pittman at Georgia went to Arkansas mm-hmm. and you played under him as an offensive lineman. I did. What What's the differences between what Georgia was doing and what he's got to try to learn now that he's back as a lineman for Tennessee? So I I would say the biggest thing uh, for him is going to understand the lingo of the offense. It's going to be completely different, you know, what um, a certain double team is called. You know, if you call it a double or you call it a single or a triple, you know, they might call it an ace, deuce, or tray. So understanding that lingo, not getting confused if it's for a different play. Uh, And it kind of stinks that, you know, they didn't have the spring practice to go over that stuff. I'm sure 
that was a difficult part, just understanding a new offense. But at the same time, Coach Cheney, who was at Georgia while Cade was there, is now our offensive coordinator. So I think that was probably an easier transition for Cade is that, you know, hey, I'm used to whatever I did my freshman year with Cheney. I didn't have it last the year before, but now I'm back to it. Um, I think the technique is almost always the same with every coach. Uh, there might be a little bit of nuances that you can pick up, but I always see that. I had three different offensive line coaches when I was in college, so I always saw it as like I'm going to combine all the great things from each one of them and put it together into my play uh, to try and make the best lineman that I can be. Go ahead, TD. Oh, yeah. Do you think uh, that DeAndre Johnson targeting should have uh, – I mean, I, I know it's such a, a, a tricky situation when they go back and look over it and, you know, he's such a vital vital uh, individual to Tennessee uh, defense. But, you know, do you think they need to revisit that and change that rule or just uh, let it play out as is? I mean, I think there's a lot of rules now that make it easier for the offense, uh, which I always like because I'm an offensive guy. But – those kind of ticky-tack um, calls, it it takes away from the game. You know, I, I don't want to see DeAndre go out, who's a really good player for us, who can affect the game and make us even more competitive because he bumped helmets with the guy who didn't even right. fall over, didn't show signs of a concussion, concussion. didn't yeah. hurt him in any way. Um you know, and then I thought there was, you know, plays later on the game where they were hitting Garantano in the head and, you know, nothing's being called. So, mm-hmm. refs are very fickle sometimes. Uh, you know, I know I played games where literally got punched in the face by defensive linemen. Refs saw it and didn't call anything. So, wow. the well, – Was they at home on the road, though? So, you got you to gotta factor in home. That is true. Road. That is true. I was I was away. It was at Oklahoma. Oh yeah, they uh, didn't see it. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, so didn't get that call. Um, but it's 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 the human element into it with the refs, right. where this is a complete judgment call on what you're actually doing. It just kind of stinks. I hate. I I don't. I don't like the instant replay either. Just like looking yeah. back at it and go like, hey, we're gonna go frame by frame to right. see if your helmet touched his helmet and then you're out of the game it's like well the speed of the game is completely like you could have barely you could barely tell he hit him right in, in a full speed thing it's like oh he bumped into him i didn't notice he hit him helmet to helmet right like, headbutted him i still think deandre needs to be smarter than that and yeah. know that you know you're hitting a quarterback this isn't a running back or yeah they, they're pretty protected yeah like you, you can't you can't do that for well, i guess a quarterback so you no, gotta, you gotta be smarter than that not. but I, on I, pretty much any level yeah i'm just glad that he's gonna be here this week and i'm sure you guys are not glad about that no we're not you know hey <laughs> tell him uh, we wish that suspension was about uh at least two games <laughs> yeah at least four quarters yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know like i said i, I think a lot Kyler, what's so important is that you know with football uh, there's so many bang-bang plays. And, you know, I think the officials do have a tough job, you know, even in, in most of these sports, especially with sports that 
such a high level, intensity level, but just the speed of the game, like even even the speed of football and basketball, like the speed of these games and athletes have really changed. So, you know, we look at the referees as, you know, hey, you know, they're, they're not perfect. They do miss calls, you know, and I think that's when you're in the heat of the battle, you know, as a player, you know, especially tackling someone, you, you know, I think you have your dirty players that have dirty tactics. But some of it, just like I said, they just instinct is just playing and certain things just happen over the course of a game. Yeah, I, and, you know, we've had plays of one against you, uh, against Kentucky, that I remember my last year, um, Emmanuel Mosley hitting one of your wide receivers coming across the middle, incomplete pass, huge hit, and uh, they got him for targeting. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't even helmet to helmet. It was defenseless receiver. That's what it was. Um, and, I, you know, I just saw it as like, come on. Like, you make, you make big hits in football. That's kind of what happens. It was shoulder on chest. Right. So there's not much of a danger there. Those are the kind of things where it's like, you, you know, we just lost the guy for, the, for that half and for the first half of the next game. And it's, mm-hmm. it just kind of stinks, you know. I, yeah. I – I hate that they're taking that out of football because, you know, that kind of stuff can change the outcome of a game just by momentum, just by, you know, other defensive players seeing what you did and thinking, oh, I'm going to go get one now. Or, hey, okay, I'm excited. Let's make this third down stop now that we had this big hit. Or offense, you know, seeing that saying, hey, they're going out there and playing bully ball and they're getting after him, right. we need to do the same thing. So it can be a huge motivation, too. So, I mean, I think it's a big deal that they're starting to take that away from the game. We all know the history with this series. Uh, Kentucky hasn't won in Knoxville since 1984. You weren't even born, Kyler. <laughs> I was oh, not. I was just only 10. <laughs> yeah, and that's the last time Kentucky won in Neyland State. It's been that long ago? Wow. Yeah. They won in 2011 in Lexington and 2017 in Lexington. 1984 is the last win in Knoxville. But I do like with this schedule, I like the fact that Kentucky's playing y'all after Georgia and before Alabama. Kentucky's kind of tucked in there between two Big games that maybe it can be a little trap game. Y'all can kind of be looking ahead to playing Alabama. That's the CBS game at 3.30. Y'all looking at, y'all can be overlooking the Cats a little bit. And statistically speaking, Kentucky's, you, you, can't, you can't look at them from their stats. I mean, the, the Mississippi State game, 157 yards offense, uh, six picks, it, it was crazy. You look at the stats from that game, you think there's no way Kentucky won. Then you look at the Auburn game, they outgained Auburn, you know, moved up and down the field, only had seven points to show for it. You think, how did they lose that game? And speaking of Auburn, the controversial spike with Patrick Nix, I mean, see, Bo Nix, Chris Rodriguez is laying in the end zone, and they don't give him a touchdown. They review it and still don't give him a touchdown. Kentucky should have been up 14 to 8 at halftime. Maybe that game plays out different. What's up with the whistles at Auburn? We had Jason Campbell on, Tony, uh, before Kentucky played Auburn. What's up with Auburn's home whistle? That's just ridiculous, the good whistles they've been getting. Hey, yeah, I, don't gotta, get, I don't get yeah, it I think, Kyle, like I said, we factor in home. It, 
it's called home cooking, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're supposed to be protected at home. And that's just how it is. I mean, across the board in football, baseball, it, it really doesn't matter sport. I think, you know, you feel safe at home. And when you have those officials, not to say that those officials were cheating, you know, no, they wasn't doing that. But, you know, I think you get a chance to get away with a few calls here and there that normally would be called differently if you were the, you know, uh, if you were the opposing team. So really it's just, it's, I think it's find the fine line when the game starts. Cause you know, with the physicality of the game, you know, they're judging the physicality, judging the speed. I mean, there's so many different nuances that referees have to see. And, and, and like I said, you have to replay it, you know, at least they get a chance to replay it. But when it's happening, I mean, yeah, they miss, they miss a lot of calls, man. And I think everything happens so fast, you know, cause they really didn't get a chance to get that, those early games out, those those cakewalk games that every major conference team would have been playing. So if you get one or two of those games, you know, then you get up to speed, you know, to the game. But when it starts out from the best teams in the conference playing each other and you haven't really officiated in the game, those guys, it, it takes them a few games to catch up. I completely agree with you. I, I honestly, you know, I might hate on the refs from time to time, not agree with what they say, but I definitely would not want their job. <laughs> I think that's one of the toughest jobs out there. You get ridiculed constantly, and you have to, the split-second decisions, seeing if a guy's foot's in bounds, if it's a touchdown, was that backwards, was that forward? Like, I, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, you know, that's just that's just too much. What were your expectations for this 10-game season, Kyler? Before the, before the season started, what was your expectations record-wise for, for the balls? Well, uh, you know how Vol Nation is. They uh, expect championships and undefeated seasons every year, even if it's a rebuilding year. Um, I'm more realistic. You know, it's all – it's – once the schedule came out, um, it's always the – you know, three big games for us. No offense to you guys, but Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida, Bama is the big ones we're looking at all the time. And, uh, you know, I thought we could, you know, possibly get eight wins this season, try and split uh, Florida, Georgia. I know Bama's going to be amazing every year. So that's one where it's like, hey, you got to – it's got – everything has to align for that as a victory. Um, I still think it's possible. I still think uh, we can be okay. I still think, you know, later on in the season, the first time we'll play Florida late in the season in I don't know how long, we can we can win that game. And, you know, I don't expect, like, undefeated seasons every year. I mean, the SEC is a dogfight, you know. You're so, realistic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. So, I mean, if we can beat Florida any year, I'm going to be happy. And I know a lot of people say Alabama's our biggest rival, but to me, I hate Florida. Right. And I always love watching you guys play Florida because for some reason, you got their number. Almost every year that game is so close. Right. So, I mean, you guys have beaten them more than us over the past two decades. So, I love watching you guys play them. What do you think about uh, uh, the job that Pruitt has done as a coach? You think he was the right hire? I do. I do think he was the right hire because 
he was completely different than Coach Jones. He is a completely different person. Coach Jones wasn't a, much of a coach first. He was a motivator, a uh, good recruiter, you know, getting five stars in, you know, tried to find motivation in everything that we did, you know, tried to bring people in to talk to us, uh, you know, tried to, you know, he got money out of boosters that Tennessee hadn't seen in a long time. So, <laughs> you know, the guy's a salesman. He's a salesman, man. Hey, exactly. Come on, so man. it was, it, I mean, he was one of, he was the reason why it started to turn up for us. You know, my first three years, we went five and seven. And then my last two, we went to two straight bowl games. So right. like, I was happy, you know, when I left, we had, we won nine games that year, including the bowl. So, you know, I was happy with the way the program was looking and all that kind of stuff. But I think it just got to a point where he became too much of a salesman mm-hmm. and not a coach. And, right. you know, everybody finds salesmen as sleazy. And that was <laughs> how it kind of ended with him. Uh, so bringing in Pruitt where he's just like, I don't give a crap about anything else besides X's and O's right. and what's right. going on in the field. And y'all can say whatever you want, but I'm here to coach. I, I like that about him. Right. Okay. Brings out intense mentality. Same as, same as Coach Saban. I mean, he's cut from his cloth for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 when I was getting recruited out of high school, oh, I kind of froze up. Did he freeze up on us? Yeah. Yeah, hey, I, I was looking forward to Nick Saban, the Nick Saban uh, story, man. You know, we gotta, you gotta love the Nick Saban stories that that's, that was about to occur. Yes, let me get him back. I just had a couple more before we let him go, but let me jump back in there. Um, but as far as the refs, were you a big talker, like in high school, college, or the pros, or did you just leave the refs alone, or did you did you kind of give it to them a little bit, or did you just not pay me attention? I, I really didn't pay him a lot of attention, and, and I think a lot of it was that I had I had a lot of my plate as a player, so. I wasn't so concerned about, you know, how they were officiating the game. You know, I think as a – when I got to the pros, certain games I started, certain games I came off the bench. So I was kind of gauging how they were calling the game, you know, and what calls they were making. And like you said, on the road, things are different. Um, you have your superstar calls that, you know, guys drive and touch. You touch them, it's like it's a foul. And, you know, so really it was just taking my time and kind of figuring out, you know, like, like what I need to do to help my team out and not really be concerned with how they was officiating the game. Because at the end of the day, you know, like Holler was saying, you know, they have a, a an extremely tough job, man. When you talk about you got to deal with players, you got to deal with fans, you got to deal with coaches. Uh, you have your bosses that are also, you know, you have to, you know, sometimes report back to them. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough job that I don't think you give them enough credit for because, you know, Every every team that's losing, it's always the officials' fault. I never hear anyone say it's the players' fault because most of the time, sometimes your team might not your team might not be that good, you know. And even with me having my Tony Doug Basketball Academy, my program is that, you know, I sit there and watch as our kids play, and I, I, I laugh because I'm looking at the referees and I'm thinking like, okay, we're down by 20 points, 25 turnovers, like seriously. <laughs> did the ref, did the referee miss all those shots? Did the referee turn the ball over? The referee, no, I'm, I'm so 
I'm realistic when it comes to personnel. You know, I'm like, okay, the personnel's not good. You know, sometimes you want to face teams that are better, you know, and give credit to them. You know, and I think, you know, with, with your sons, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to encounter that and, you know, you're going to be that dad cheering and being like, man, my son. But you got to say, man, my, my son really ain't been practicing much as he should have been and he missed some shots. But they never see that part of the game. I think they just see that, you know, these officials making bad calls and, they don't like the coach. They don't like the players. I don't. I don't think it's like that. Those they take their job seriously, and you know they are professional in what they do. Text Kyler might see if he can come back if he needs a link again. Yeah, I'll send it to him again. Get him back for the last couple of questions. But um, we we uh, let me backtrack too because I meant to say this probably a couple of weeks ago, but. When your your guy Billy Donovan moved on to the Bulls, the OKC Thunder made a lot of moves and a lot of changes, and one included moving Nas Muhammad to the GM of the OKC Blue, the G League squad. And forgot to mention. Hey, that's great for Nazi, man. Nazi is tailor made to be in a position of uh, of running a organization, and kind of reminds me of Malik Rose when he was running the. Uh, the G League team in Atlanta, you know, that's that's kind of uh, the route you have to go, um, you know, as far as trying to get back to be a GM on uh, for one of the, the major, you know, 30-something teams in NBA. And, uh, you know, it's always a, a great trial run, you know, to see if it's something that, that you want to do. And um, and then I think from Sam Presley, I think he, he learned so much, you know. So now you get a chance to go and, and see if, okay, hey, you know what? This job that's available, because he's young enough, he can relate to the, to the personnel and, and to what's going on right now. It's kind of like taking a coaching job. You know, I think, you know, we have a, a couple candidates like uh, like Teron Liu and uh, Sam Cassell, uh, Darvin Ham, another guy, you know, that's uh, in position to be a head coach at some point in time. And, and Ty Liu, because he's, he's been one before, he's also a, a championship-winning coach. So... You know, back to Nazi, um, you know, just opportunity. I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy for him, you know, that, you know, something that he wants to do and, you know, he has his mindset to do. So it's always going to be challenging to see how well you do um, with the G League team. But, you know, they're watching, you know, to see, okay, hey, you know, you go from being a G League there to he can become and be an assistant GM. And then, you know, uh, opportunity will present itself because of the connection of, uh, what Sam Presley has done with that team? Yeah, yeah. Kyler, we got him, got him back, man. He's back. He's back. Got Kyler Curzon back in here. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's 2020, man. You listen to podcasts now. Before the pandemic, you listen to a podcast. It's studio perfect. It's pristine. It's yeah. no dead air. It's nothing. Now you listen to other people's stuff. You you hear cell phones going off. You hear paper rattling. <laughs> You hear, you hear the zoom, it's, 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 it's part, it's just what it is, man. You got some, some dial-up internet in the background. <laughs> That's right. Like 1997 AOL stuff, man, back yeah. in the day. Um, we just had a couple more questions for you, Ray. Like, before Tennessee played Georgia, you know, especially, look, I live in, I was born and raised in Kentucky. I live in Morristown now, so I'm right up the road from Knoxville. You know, nothing orange about me, but I'm right up the road from Knoxville. Yeah. Uh, you heard a lot of this this is a measuring stick game. This is a test. We we think we got enough to go down to Georgia and really give it to them now. We 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 built up to where we think we can 
you know, go at the dogs. Was it just a bad second half, or is that gap between Tennessee and Georgia still a little bit bigger than everybody may have thought? You know, the positive side of me wants to say it's not that big a gap, right? Uh, I always want to look on the positive, especially when it comes to the Vols. I do think it's not necessarily the players on the field, which is what it was before. You had more five stars on the field for Georgia, for Bama, for Florida than we did. Guys that were really good players. I think now it's understanding the game. It's making sure we're doing the right stuff because we got talent. You know, if you just throw out some dudes out there, nothing's going to happen. But if you got dogs, if you got real hard-nosed, mean dudes out there that can play ball, then you got a chance. And I think we do have that. I think it's just about executing now. So I, I wouldn't say we're that far away. I do think, you know, Kirby has gotten his team right quick. Uh, you know, he's got those players, but he's also got them bought into what he's doing. And he did it very fast. And they are 100% in on, you know, they're drinking the Kool-Aid for sure down there. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, you mentioned Alabama and Tennessee plays them next week. You were at Tennessee the same time Derrick Henry was at Alabama, right? And I'm assuming this dude yeah. is really big as you, maybe. As an offensive lineman, when you see your running back just throw a man into next week, how, how does that make you feel? Well, I am a Titans fan, so I enjoy Derrick Henry now. <laughs> uh, but seeing him on the field playing against him, I did not enjoy that. Uh, my last year at Tennessee, we're playing at Alabama and had the lead by two points with probably four and a half minutes left in the game, and Alabama was getting the ball. And, you know, our defense just had uh, three and out. And then, you know, we might be able to win in Alabama and shock the world. But Derrick Henry had different plans. And ran it down our throat and ran four and a half minutes off the clock. Didn't go out of bounds once. And they didn't even score, and they could have. They literally stopped, like, on the five-yard line. We're just like, nah, we're good. We don't need to do this to y'all. And, you know, it's very demoralizing as a guy out there. I mean, he is – I remember him getting recruited to Tennessee because Tennessee was, you know, one of the teams he was looking at. And joking with him, being like, bro, there's no way you play running back. <laughs> you look like a defensive end. Like, I, block dudes, I block dudes smaller than you. <laughs> there's no way you're a running back. He's like, yeah, man, that's what I want to play. Like, All right, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, everybody's calling him Brandon Jacobs. You know, that's, you know, that's around the time Brandon Jacobs for the, for the Giants was going off. And he was 6'4", 270. And they say that Derrick Henry's 6'3". No, he's 6'4". Because mm -hmm. I'm 6'4 on the dot, and I'm looking eye-to-eye -eye with him whenever I met him. And he's definitely at least 6'4". <laughs> and what, what was the saving story you was, you was about to tell before we lost you? Oh, yeah. So, um, 
as I was saying with recruiting and stuff, you know, a lot of coaches got to be salesmen. But with Nick Saban, he was just like, all right, come sit in my office. And he put out all the rings that he had won on his little coffee table, just all spread out. And he was just like, hey, you want to come here? You get rings. You get drafted. <laughs> and it's as simple as that. Like, I'm not selling you anything else. I'm not talking about the nutrition bar or the weight room we got or anything like that. <laughs> I got championships and I get guys drafted and pretty much said like, Hey, if you don't come here, I'll find another guy. Like that's okay. And I think, you know, guys, guys are like, Hey, why would I not come here? He's going to get me right. And it also humbles a lot of dudes too, because there's a huge deal. Now, a lot of the five stars, I mean, they're just getting love from everybody and they're, they're the king of the world. I think Saban's one of the guys that say, like, I'll win without you. I don't need you. Right. But if you want to come here and be a part of something, you can. But I can win without you. And I think that's a lot of humble pie for guys. And sometimes it's like, you know what, I could probably use that. Right. You go to Alabama, get that humble pie, maybe red shirt. I mean, he's red shirt and five stars every mm-hmm. year. Right. Because he's got so many. Yeah. It's like red shirt, start two seasons, and then get out. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's a lot of tradition. I know there's Vol Nation, um, Gator Nation. Is there a, a a difference in how Alabama, you know, from a, a standpoint of just winning championships, putting guys in the pros, Heisman, you think their tradition is, is, is totally different from all the other traditions that you see around the country? Well, not necessarily. I think what they have going on right now is totally different. Mm. I think their tradition is stuff that happened in the past. You know, they won with Bear Bryant a lot, but we also won with General Nealand a lot. So tradition is something, but what they have going right now is unprecedented. You won't ever see this again in college football, the run that they've had. I mean, I think I saw a stat the other day. It was like, over the past 12 years, they've been number one at least one week out of the year. They were number one. Wow. So it's a testament to Nick Saban, what he's been able to do with that program. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you remember before he got there, you know, the 15 years prior, Alabama was just, eh, whatever, Alabama. Yeah. They they went on the map like they are right now, though. No, 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 no. You know, early, you know, 90s and early 2000s, it was, you know, Florida and Tennessee were the big SEC schools. Yeah. You know, and then when Saban went to LSU, it was LSU and Auburn and then Alabama. He, You know, he turned that place around and made it relevant nowadays. And he's adding to the tradition of 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 not being a flashy school of getting down to the basics running the football playing good defense you know that's how he started it which a lot of a lot of places now and you kind of saw like Oregon you know back in you know the Mariota days it was hey we have the coolest uniforms right running spread offense and we're we're throwing it all over the place, and it's a super exciting uh, new toy, you know, for right. everybody. And that's kind of fizzled out. So I think just just playing good football, good sound football, is going to prevail in the end. Do, do you think? Um, do you think with 
I tell you what he's done a great job of is that he's given the SEC conference some really good coaches. Um, do you think if he hadn't lost some of those coaches in the last four or five years, he would possibly have two or three more championships? Because I know uh, the stable to having a great program is keeping great coaches. And, you know, my question is to you, do you think that if those coaches had a still – some of those coaches had remained with him, would he have more championships? I think that's a great question. I, I do think it is a uh, legit possibility that could have happened. Um, you know, not lost those two games to Clemson. You know, win four in a row if he has the same coaching staff, the same um, people in there. I do think because he almost knows that his coordinators are going to leave, uh, <laughs> he's gotten so used to it that I imagine he tries to keep the same how should I say this the the same vibe with everyone who comes in you know you're not changing up you might be calling some different plays but we're going to use the same lingo we're going to call it the same thing we're going to you know say it's we're not going to run a totally different defense we're going to stick with the bear defense we're going to you know might throw the ball a bit more but when you you know, yell, there's a blitz coming. Because, I mean, I use smoke, uh, blood, um, you know, alert was just like three different things that I use going through college and NFL where it's like that's what it means when I see a blitz. Maybe it's the exact same word. Right. It's been like that the whole time where it's I know I'm going to lose offensive coordinator, but I want my offensive line, I want my quarterbacks, I want my running backs, my wide receivers to be on the same page, to not be – behind by any means because I have a new offense coordinator in here. I think it's just, hey, you're going to follow my formula of what I want. And that's why, you know, when uh, Kiffin was there and he's running the offense, Coach Saban's still ripping him, a new one on the <laughs> sideline, saying like, no, 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 no. This is how we run the offense. Right. I know you're the offense coordinator, but this is how we run the offense. Right. He's still, he's still running the team. You don't see that a lot with coaches. Because a lot of times head coaches aren't even coaching. that You know, they're just managing a game and mm -hmm. making sure to pick the right coaches to come in. I think I think Saban's a lot more hands-on yeah. uh, than some of the coaches out there. So what do you – we're just, we're just going to get you on the record for your prediction for Saturday come 12 o'clock. What, what do you think happens when the dust settles come about 3.30 in Knoxville this Saturday? Well, you know, I don't <laughs> – I am 0-1 uh, in picks right now with George, losing to Georgia. So, uh, you know, I can have all, all the positivity in the world, but that doesn't necessarily change anything. I think we'll do great this week. Um, you know, I do think you guys running a, a bear defense where you have, you know, your head up nose, your four eyes on the inside shoulder of the tackles, it makes it a lot harder to run the ball, which is what we need to do more of. And you guys got big dudes up front, you know, obviously didn't get a good showing of what would, what it would look like if we played you when watching the Mississippi State game because they threw it 70 times, and that's not our offense. But I saw, I saw some of your defensive linemen you have, big 370-pound boys, which is what you need to stop the run. Uh, so, you know, that part of it is something I'm looking at as, okay, this is a big matchup. 
you know, being able to block those big guys up front. Tennessee boys, um, some Tennessee guys on that D line too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, and then uh, let's see, defensively, you know, it's containing Wilson. I mean, that's what it is. He's a, he's a heck of a runner, and uh, you know that worries me sometimes. Sometimes our, I feel like our defense doesn't necessarily keep contained as well as they could, um, especially just on pass rush. Our defensive ends knowing. We can't let him get outside the pockets. You know, Stinson Bennett had a few runs that were huge because we just didn't keep contain. It wasn't necessarily, you know, he's a, an amazing athlete. He's no Lamar Jackson or anything like that. It was just, hey, if you don't keep contain, quarterback can get outside the pocket and do something with his legs. So, you know, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. And I do see some similarities in offense you guys run right now with Wilson in the offense that we ran when I was at UT with Dobbs, where it's like, hey, we could throw over the middle on some play actions, you know, confuse them, spread it out. Um, you know, I remember when we went when we went and played Alabama, we put in a play that week where we pulled both guards, one guard, right guard pulled right and left guard pulled left. And Dobbs was Dobbs just picked like, oh, am I gonna give it to Camara going that way or am I gonna run the other way? And they both followed the guards, and it made it so confusing on the linebackers. I mean, you guys have almost the same exact offense where it's like, hey, we're running counter, 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 play action counter to the tight end over the middle. I mean, that was our bread and butter. That's what we did all the time. So definitely looking at that. So it's all about containing Wilson and then movement up front for our offensive line. And I think we'll be able to get away with the victory. Uh, points wise, I never know. Come on, Kyle, give us a number, man. You're beating around the bush right now. Give us, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we like numbers, man. We like numbers yes. so we can follow up with this. Okay, so, uh, I think both teams have been scoring pretty well. I don't think a lot of defense has been played in the SEC this year. Uh, so I can easily see a 24 34 game balls. Wow. Oh, four twenty. Okay, let me see. Hey. I, let me see what my number is. I had it. I had it twenty four seventeen. UT. I hate to say that. Oh wow. Okay. I can't pick Kentucky either. I mean, they got to show me. It's been thirty six years since they won in Knoxville. I can't. I can't pick Tennessee either. And that's look. I grew up on the border, Kentucky and Tennessee, and. Then you got to pick one, man. Stop. Hey, hey, hey. You're like, uh, you're like Kyle here, man. Pick team, man. Listen, hey, hey, we being real. Hey, we stand You like Kentucky, man, but listen, when it comes down, put it like this: if it's your money, okay. All right, Kyle. That's what we're gonna do to Vinny. If it's your money, let's say they gave you a million dollars, you have to pick a team. Well, I'm about to take that million dollars on. I'm about to. I'm just setting it up. Stay in Tennessee. Just grew up on the border. Got Bob Kessling on the news, just like I got Lexington news. Can't Who are you placing your million dollars with? I can't. Where, where, where's can't that bag gonna be left at? I can't. You can double your money. You can double your money. You can lose all your money. So put place your bag on UT or UK. That's all we want to know right now. Which where, where's that bag going? I can't pick Kentucky when they're playing Tennessee until they <laughs> prove they can win some of these games. There's been years Kentucky should have won, but I can't. I just I. 
there's something about that orange. They just they just can't get over that. Kryptonite, man. That's, that's what yeah. it's called, Kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, Tennessee's going, you know, 27-17, something, something like that, somewhere along that line. Um, and I always hope I'm wrong, but I think, you know. Yeah, eight, since, since you said since 84? God dang. Last, last win in Knoxville. Yeah. Last Ooh, that's a long time. I didn't realize it was that long. Back in the 80s, man. Good Lord, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. But, man, Kyler, we definitely appreciate you hopping on and, and giving us the insight. And and everybody go believe, especially Vol Nation, believe in Tennessee football. Uh, you're recording every week. You do a new episode every week now. Yeah, yeah. So I record a new episode every Monday. Just game recap and then game preview to the next one. Any kind of news going on. And, uh, you know, this is my second one collabing with another team. So, you know, might might uh, keep doing that throughout the season. So having just extra ones each week. But we'll see. Hey, there's the SEC on, on this Believe Podcast Network. There's, there's more and more SEC podcasts coming along. And Georgia, Vanderbilt. We had Jordan from Ole Miss. He was talking trash to us. You know, Jason Campbell, Auburn. So the SEC is growing in, in the network. So it's it's a lot of fun. But man, we appreciate you hopping on and taking the time to talk a little football with us. Thanks, yeah. Tyler, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. And uh let's go Vols, huh? Hey. <laughs> go big blue. You already All know. All right. <laughs> man, C D. We uh we thought this was gonna go five with Lakers and Heat. It lasted one more game than we thought. Jimmy Butler said, I'm gonna I'm gonna just refuse to lose one last time. Y'all got the Mamba jerseys on and I'm not gonna lose this game. And then game six, it was it was a whooping. And Anthony Davis is now the eighth guy to win an NCAA title, uh NBA title and Olympic gold medal. It's like wow. Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Anthony Davis, Clyde Lovellette, who played with George Mikan. It's just real select company that AD joined mm-hmm. with this man. Yeah, he, he is a um, – he has become a special player. And when you can uh, team up with LeBron, who is the best player in the world still to date at 17 years, 35 years of age in a game, it speaks volume for um, LeBron's longevity. And I know there's always going to be a comparison between – Michael and LeBron, I think it gives us something to talk about, but we should be um, at this place where we should be enjoying his body of work, his talent, and and stop all the comparing, comparing him amongst you know some of the uh, some of the greats that played in the '80s, the '90s. I think his his contribution to the game has been like no other. You know, you talk about having played any professional sport. You know, even like Tom Brady. You know, twenty years. And, and, and one of the most impactful sports you can play. And LeBron jumping straight from high school with the spotlight on him and having been so successful for all these years is that, you know, we might not see another LeBron James, Tom Brady, some, certain players, you might not see him for another 15, 20 years, you know. So we have to enjoy greatness, you know, because I thought watching Michael Jordan as a, as a young player, like, man, you know, that dude – is someone who I might never see again. And then along came Kobe Bryant, you know, the second coming of Michael Jordan. And I'm waiting to see who will be the second coming of uh, of LeBron James, you know, and it's going to have to be 
a very special player, but a player who doesn't get hurt. You know, that longevity has gone on for so long, and he's been at – he's been at his prime, man, longer than any player I've ever seen before. Yeah, yeah, because you know, that peak is just so long for sure, for sure. Um, flipping to Kentucky basketball, we, you know, we know the season starting November 25th, which is a little more than a month away. A few episodes back, everybody listening remembered you talked with Danny Manning about Olivier Saar. And, you know, we've been, we've been waiting to see if he's going to be eligible, you know, transferred from Wake Forest. And according to the NCAA, they say that as far as eligibility, you can't transfer into the SEC and only have one year of eligibility to play. Mm-hmm. But now the buzz is that everybody's getting a free year. 2020 is just a free year, so he's going to end up having a couple of years. Even though he's going to play one and be gone, Right. looks like it's going to set things into motion where he should be eligible to play. We've been waiting forever. You know you can't ever trust the NCAA because they're so inconsistent. We don't know, yeah. <laughs> and they haven't really been on, on, on the side of Cal, Coach Calipari for, uh, for all these years. So <laughs> for some to break, and his way, I mean, maybe, maybe the NCAA is changing some, not a lot. But, you know, I think when you, you know, this has been a, a, a different year for so many uh, athletes, you know, not, any, not only professional, but collegiate high school, middle school, uh, youth basketball, baseball, football, hockey. We can go down the line of all the different sports that um, the pandemic has affected, you know, and just to get back to some, uh, some normal has, you know, has really helped out, you know, just, I tell you what, it's definitely helped out some households, <laughs> getting your kids out, you know, out the house and <laughs> not, them not driving you crazy every day. Uh, but uh, in sports, you know, it's, it's so competitive, you know, when you can just look at, you know, what the NBA did in the bubble. I mean, they gave us uh, – a few months of really, really good basketball. Some of the best basketball I've seen in a few years, you know, and, and also leaving that bubble with no positive tests. I mean, so, you know, credit to Adam Silver, all the people that was um, first line responders, you know, just all the doctors and nurses, everyone that was in Orlando making it happen. I mean, because it, it, it took a team, you know, it took a, a lot of personnel to pull us off, you know, because even when they – we're talking about going to the bubble. I'm like, man, how's that going to be possible? You know, all these guys coming from this place, that place. And, you know, man, they pulled it off. I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, winning the championship was, was great, but just think about all those people that had to be there, all the, um, all the people who behind closed doors who we didn't see, you know, yeah. made this possible. All the sacrifices that coaches, referees, uh, broadcasters, um, you know, so many people had to leave, you know, had, had to leave family behind. And, you know, you know you're you just going to be without family for three, two or three months. So it's, man, I mean, we have to commend, you know, definitely what the Heat did. Um, you know, the Lakers who at one point in time, which was crazy, they were talking about leaving the bubble. They was like, man, we out. You know, them and the Clippers. I'm like, what? <laughs> y'all come this far to be like, y'all leaving? And, you know, just to get back locked in. But – it shows you the leadership uh, ability that, Le- that LeBron is blessed with. You know, that's where your leader gets everyone back in line and say, hey, guys, okay, you know what? 
we fought for this cause. We spoke up about it. We shut down the league for a couple of days and then we back to business. And you have to have a, a strong leader to be able to do that. And that's what I'm saying. Like LeBron is, is such a special talent, man. And, and I'm, I'm giving him more credit now than I ever have been before, you know, and not to say I've never been a LeBron fan. I've always been a fan of LeBron, just his, you know, his gift and, and what he does off the court. But, you know, now, you know, as we look at him win his fourth championship, you know, what, what do you think about, you know, the, the LeBron MJ debate? I, I'm, I'm like, you yeah, respect both of them. I was, I never was a Jordan fan, but I respected him. Same thing with LeBron. You you gotta respect him. The you know, we talked about this earlier today with on my Cats Talk Wednesday show, me and my host, my my boy T B. Everybody's made their minds up already. Ain't nobody coming off of their opinion. If you if you dug in on Jordan, you right. ain't coming off of that. If you dug in on LeBron, you're a little bit of the next younger generation. Mm-hmm. You can't be convinced that LeBron ain't the GOAT. So nobody's going to budge. It's, sometimes it's fun to talk about. Sometimes, you know, people get a little carried away with it. Um, to me, you know, look, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm about to be 43. To get to the final six times and not lose, that just that just put a, a mark on me. That's a Trump card then, right? To me. Now, LeBron made it with Booby Gibson and them, and he didn't have a prayer against the Spurs. To, to, right. drag, it, to drag that team to the finals is impressive, too. So, I mean, yeah. it is. It is. Uh, and, you know, I also think, like you said, you know, I, I think I had to revisit this man when I just went back and looked at, you know, what Kareem did throughout his high school, college, and NBA, NBA career, man. Like, like, you know, and I was so Jordan, 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 man. I was like, man, Kareem did some unbelievable stuff, man. You know, just that, you know, even in this 17th, 18th year, mm-hmm. if you take three years that he played, four years he played college basketball, can you imagine with those four four more years, that means he probably would have scored about, well, in the 40,000 40, point range. Like, like, he really would have put scoring out of reach, to be honest with you. You know, it, it probably, he probably would have another – probably 30, maybe 44,000 points. You know, we'll be talking about that's something that record will never be touched. But I think LeBron's going to get – if he doesn't if he doesn't pass, he's going to get really, really close. And I think he stays in the game at the level he's playing at, um, you know, barring any injuries. You know, I do see him becoming an all-time leading scorer. And, and, and it will come up as a topic of discussion. He's like, I think so many people like yourself and, you know, we're older and, you know, people are dug in. Like, I love Jordan. Mm-hmm. I love LeBron, the newer generation, man. But I'm like, don't forget Kareem, man. Even when Will Chamberlain came in the league, there might have been like eight to ten to twelve teams. But man, a, a rookie averaging thirty-seven and twenty-seven, man. I don't care who he's playing against. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, shoot, twenty-seven rebounds on a nightly basis, man. Thirty-seven points. I mean, come on, man. It's you know we, we we've had some remarkable players over the time, and I'm just happy I got a chance really to to witness and see, you know, three of the three of the top three of the top five players I think in the game were, you know, would definitely be um my top five it would be, you know, definitely Kobe is one of them, LeBron, uh, Michael. I, I saw Kareem more towards the end, you know, so I really didn't get a chance to see him. And, you know, so there's so many great players, you know, that we can put out there. But when you see a player like LeBron, he's done it, man. I'm not saying, you know, we got to stop being Michael fans, but, you know, 
let's honor him. Let's give him his flowers while he's still performing at this level, man. Mm-hmm. And as far as Kareem, you know, there wasn't as many teams – but there was still a lot of good big men. I mean, you had Nate Thurman and Walt Bellamy and, yeah. and Bob Lanier. And, I mean, there was some there was some centers back then. Yeah. yeah he was, yeah. you know. Artis Gilmore. I mean, we can go down the line of, of, like, really great centers, man, that, you know, uh, like I said, that, that Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, you know, they had so many battles back in the day, man. You know, Bill Russell had a much better uh, supporting cast. But, you know, even when – uh, Wilt won his championship, you know, with Jerry West. You know, they put a really good team together. And just think that the one year, I think Elgin Baylor retired the year before they won that championship. Could you imagine Wilt, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor? And they talked, from what I'm hearing, the, the, the conversation was they tried to talk him into coming back playing that last year. He was like, man, I'm done, man. I, I've given up my all to the Lakers. And that was where they won. You know, uh, Jerry West won his one and only uh, championship. So even when we look at, you know, this might be a a topic next, you know, next next time we have our podcast is that who is on the Lakers Mount Rushmore? What well, four faces would be up there? Goodness, and and like I mentioned, my man TB is is a Lakers fan, so we just we just talk tons of Lakers. He talks about, you know, if you go all time Lakers, it's three or four deep in every spot. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think I think there is like one position in all the sports that we look at just the greatest of all time at that position, and there ain't no question it would have to be Jerry Rice. Yeah, yeah, because the gap Running backs, quarterback between him and like Randy Moss and Fitzgerald, whoever's second, they have to play seven, eight more years to catch him. There's a real gap, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you see the gap, and like I said, with the the longevity, but just man, how special Jerry Rice was, man. Like, you know, there when we said a greatest receiver, like it's man, everybody's like Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice. You know, it'd be like Jerry Rice. Like, there ain't no question. Just like the goat, you know. And and quarterbacks, linemen, running backs. You know, we always gonna have like, man. Okay, maybe you know we think Barry Sanders, maybe Walter Payton. Like, I don't know, man, you know. Um, Emmitt Smith, you know, we're we, we going to have a few different guys. But I just think Jerry really separated himself from everyone. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and at that position during that time, I mean, when the game was 10 times more physical then than, than it is now, you know, was that he still was an elite player for so many years. And when we go – we come back to basketball, you know, there's going to always be – a debate with who's the greatest, you know, at, at, at different position. But man, we talk about receiving, receivers, that dude's by himself. All by himself. Yeah. yeah. One last thing, too, before switching back to basketball on the college level, and, and Kentucky's played this team a couple times in the tournament here recently. Um, Greg Marshall, this news about what's going on with him in Wichita State getting investigated. Um, Punching players, choking assistant coaches. His his wife was clowning when they did play Kentucky. She was just screaming and yelling and just like in a rage the whole game. Mm-hmm. Shaq Morris was walking out of practice. Marshall allegedly, you know, punched him in the back of the head. Uh, same thing with an assistant coach. He's getting into it with students on campus. Yeah, under investigation. 
Now, if they find this all out, to me, I, I mean, to me, it's a, it sounds like it's a wrap. But what do you, when to see this still happen in 2020 with a, a coach, man, what, what do you think about that? I mean, like I say, I, I think with, with, with people having videos and just so much conversation is, you know, those coaches don't exist anymore. Those coaches, if you haven't been able to adapt to where the game is at, the generation of kids, you can't coach this game anymore, you know, and, and – and it's hard for me to to hear that 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 happened to to players and, and to personnel that he still has a job. You know, you have the investigation, you, have to, you do your due diligence, but um, I still think you have to be, you know, conscious and aware of of where we're at in, in society right now. You know what I'm saying? And to do something like that, you know, it is your program, and you have control, and you have a a, a pulse of, of everything that's going on. But, you know, where we're at right now, you know, that's unacceptable, you know, for you to put your hands on, on someone else's son or daughter, you know, uh, to even, you know, have that conversation. I mean, you got to, you in a position of power, of leadership, and your players come there to be led by you. And now when you're not getting your way or you lose a game and then you have a temper tantrum, it's unprofessional. You know, it, it just shows you, what kind of person he is, if, if, if that is true of how he treated these people. And, you know, we just don't have people like that that are going to still have jobs and be in, in position, especially the position to to lead young men. You know, it's almost like getting a DUI and, you know, you get multiple DUIs and here you are trying to be a college coach and all of a sudden it's like, well, coach, you know, if one of the players get, you know, get caught or gets a DUI and you kick them off the team and, you have several on, on your resume and, you know, it's like the pot calling the kettle black and, and people speak up. I mean, there's, there's what I, you know, we've talked about this on past podcasts is that I love this generation. This generation has so much fight in them is, you know, if something like this did take place, you know, and it comes out, of course he would have to resign and, you know, and go look for another job, you know, and like I said, it's just, it's just not that, it's just not happening like that anymore. Like we just don't, those coaches to me don't exist no more. If you're that kind of coach, man, like you say, it's going to be hard to, to get recruits and to keep players there because there's too many outspoken younger people in today's society. There's been several guys transfer out of there lately too. So it's, it's, it's I mean, coming to an end. I mean, like you say, certain, certain coaches, you know, they, they run their courses, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, Hey, if you've been doing that style and gotten away with it, I mean, you know, if you can't adapt, you know, it's, it's time to either remove yourself or they will remove you. That's for sure. Man, we threw the Wednesday night curveball at him tonight. Get <laughs> <laughs> hey, him with it, man. Hey, you never know when I, when, I, when I text you, be like, B, what's happening, man? I'm, actually, I'm in LEX taking care of some business, so I had to come here and uh, had dinner with my guys, Antoine Spielman, Bush, my guy Sparks, you know, so I had to cut my dinner short, man. They thought I was coming to do something else. I'm like, no, man, I'm coming to do my podcast, and I believe in Kentucky with, with my dude VH, man. So, you know, they 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 want to make sure I got to text them the link so they can know this actually happened, man, that I just didn't, didn't disappear from dinner. You know, although my man, my man Spielman paid for dinner tonight. I do owe him, man. You know, so next time I'm back in town, my dude Spielman, I got you, man. Dinner is on me. See, it's on the record. So y'all, y'all listen to it here at the end. 
the truth will come out. TD didn't just bounce on y'all. We, we, you know, put a podcast in the archives. And uh, y'all go to aseeablue.com. That episode will be there as well. We appreciate, you know, Jason Markham posting them there. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your boys to, you know, hit us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. Once they listen, if they like what they hear, hey, give us them five stars, fellas. And then have another enjoyable dinner in L.A. Cool. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. For my man TD, this is BH for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll catch y'all next week with another fun, exciting episode. Believe in Kentucky, Believe Podcast Network. the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done